glad to be here. I love my church, and I love y'all. And um, ain't no church like Victory Church. Y'all should just give God praise for our church, man. So uh, tonight I want to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. It's something um, that has just really been burning within me for the uh, last few months. Jesus. I'm more in love with Jesus than I have ever been. Don't, I've always loved Jesus. I'm getting some feedback, Corey. I've always loved Jesus, but in these last few months, oh, I am just burning for Jesus. And I've come, I've come to the realization that Jesus is all I need. He is the only thing that I need. He's the only thing that you need. By a show of hands, how many of y'all love Jesus? Everybody's hand go up? Okay, good. You're my intended. I was hoping every hand would go up. Now, how many of you want more Jesus? Who thinks you could use more Jesus? I mean, if you're satisfied where you are, do not raise your hand. But if you could use more Jesus, you put your hand in the air because this is for you tonight. So let's pray. Father God, let it be all of you tonight, God. Let me decrease that you might increase, Father God. If anything comes out of my mouth, Father God, that is Joshua, I pray that it falls on deaf ears, God. But if it be you, if it be by your spirit, Father God, I pray that every heart catches that seed and absorbs it, Father God. I pray that tonight, Father God, you would make us hungrier than we've ever been. God, I ask that you draw our hearts tonight, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you have your Bible, if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. I'm going to do a lot of reading in the Amplified Bible tonight because that's what I love. So verse two says, I know your industry and activities, your your laborious toil and trouble and your patient endurance and how you cannot tolerate wicked men and have tested and critically appraised those who call themselves apostles, special messengers of Christ and yet are not and have found them to be imposters and liars. Verse three, I know you are enduring patiently and are bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not fainted or become exhausted or grown weary. That's a great thing, church. Verse four, he says, but I have this one charge to make against you. It's that you have left, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. Remember then from what heights you have fallen. Repent, change the inner man to meet God's will and do the works you did previously when first you knew the Lord or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you change your mind and repent. This is a letter to the church at Ephesus, but it applies to us. Notice uh, in, in, in verse three, he talk, and verse two, he talks about all the great things that they did. All the great things. We do a lot of great things for the Lord. But he says, I have this one thing against you. It said you've left your first love. He did not say you don't love me. He didn't say that you stopped loving me. He says you've left your first love and my what heights you have fallen. And that rocks my world because I love Jesus and I do a lot for Jesus and I know you do a lot for Jesus. But he says something has changed. Something has changed. You don't look at me the way you used to. You don't come to me and tell me your secrets the way you used to. How many of y'all, when you uh, first started dating your girlfriend, or your, I know with me and my wife, she's so beautiful with her fine self. When we first started dating, I mean, we didn't even have words to say. We just sit on the phone and breathe. Just, ah, ah, ah. you tired? No, nah, girl, I'm not tired. I'm stepping. You can step. Ah, ah, ah. All right, I'm going to bed. All right, you hang up. No, you hang up first. You hang up. No, you hang up. All right, one, two, three. You didn't hang up. Oh, I just love being on the phone. But something's changed. 
Something's changed. We've gotten to the place where we love God just a little bit differently. And he says, what heights you have fallen from, you have abandoned your first love. So here's what he wants you to do. He says, repent, turn from your sin, turn from your will, your way of doing things and turn towards God and his will. And then he says, do the work. Do what you did when you first fell in love with your wife. You fell in love. You bought her roses. You called her three times a day just to make sure it was all right. Do the things you did when you first fell in love with Jesus. The things, the thing about him that you fell in love with that kept you at his feet. Do that. And that's what Jesus is coming for. He's coming for bro. I was over here yesterday praying. I was in here praying all by myself. And um, hey, you should come to prayer on Saturdays. If you don't come to prayer on Saturdays, you should. God, God is here. And so I was praying over there and I saw Jesus. I had a vision. I saw Jesus and I saw a veil and Jesus went over to this person, his bride in the veil and he lifted the veil. And you know what I saw? I didn't see a face. I saw a faceless, nameless bride. That's where I should have been. That's where some of us should be. That's what he wants. Your first love. He wants you burning with love for him. Now, some of us in here tonight, you might say to yourself, I don't have anything to repent for. And that's okay. That's between you and God. Um, But I'm going to tell you why we should repent. If you've let anything crowd out this love you have for Jesus, this burning desire you have for Jesus, that's what we have to repent for. Um, Anything that diminishes your zeal for him, we've got to do away with it. We got to get to the point, church, where Jesus is the only thing. Here's what I mean by that. He can't be a piece of the puzzle. Look, man, he's the puzzle. He can't be a centerpiece on this finely decorated table. No, Jesus needs to be the whole banquet hall. If this is Jesus and you're adding stuff to him, by default, you're subtracting from the place he has in your life. Just Jesus. Somebody say just Jesus. Just Jesus. He has to be the only thing that is worthy of your gaze. My wife, your husband, your wife, they probably feel more valued, more appreciated when they have all of your attention, all of your affection. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm watching Sports Center, and my wife comes in and says, hey, did you take the trash out? And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. She doesn't feel appreciated. She doesn't feel valued. And that's, that's what it is. It's I love her. I love her. I want to do for her. But no, no, no. She knows I love her when I give her all of my attention. All my, when I put the TV remote down and I say, what you need? That's how it is with God. He wants all. Of, he's the only thing that's worthy of your affection. We just sang that song. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it. Is he worth you getting out of bed at night? He's worthy of it all. Is he worth you turning off the TV? He's worthy of it all. We sing it. It sounds real good. But do we live it? Is he really worth it? I think he is. In Exodus 34, 14, he says, my name is jealous. And a lot of times we think of that as a negative thing. It's jealous. Jealousy is a bad connotation in today's society. But he's saying, that's who I am. That's my name. That's the essence of, of, of who I am. So what Jesus is saying is, and I know a lot of times we think Jesus is my number one. He's my priority. But Jesus can't even be a priority. He has to be it. Because here's how priority works. If he's the priority, if he's number one. And there's a number two and number three. At any moment, in any season, he can go to number two or three. Your only love. He can't be a priority. He has to be 
it. He's the thing. He is the source. From him are all things through him and to him. He is it. We can't treat him like a resource. We have to treat him like he is the source. Amen. Come on. Y'all can talk back to me in this Presbyterian church. Come on. It's going to be all right. But here's the thing. Here's how good God is. Here's how good God is. He knows and we know. Again, we say a lot of stuff. We agree to a lot of stuff. We know that there is nothing that compares to God. Amen. There is nothing that compares to God. And here's the goodness of God. He knows that he will run a race against every other thing that's distracting us. And the thing is, he will cross the finish line first. But because he crossed the finish line first, it doesn't necessarily mean that he won't. We get to pick the winner. And Jesus across the finish line because nothing compares to him. But we will still say, Jesus, you didn't win. The TV won. Jesus, you didn't win. My job won. Jesus, you didn't win. Me going to the movies. It won. That's right. And here's how good he is. Jesus says, okay, let's do it again. He will get back in line next to every other distraction. He'll say, let's do it again. And Jesus, you didn't win. Okay, let's run it back. And he'll do it again and again and again and again because he loves you. And when you finally come to realize, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You've been running this race like a hamster on the wheel the whole time. He won't even bring that up. He'll just say, don't worry about it. It's cool. I love you. Oh, my God. I love Jesus so much. Do you love Jesus? This is the God we serve, y'all. He'll run a race and he won't win. He'll win, but he won't win in our mind. And he'll run it again and again. Oh, I love Jesus. Father God, we love you. Listen, three ways to get uh, this first love back. Number one, gaze. Everybody say gaze. gaze. The definition of gaze is to be astonished, to fix the eye or to reach with the eye, to view with fixed attention. I'll say that again, to be astonished. To, view, to fix the eye or to reach with the eye, to view with fixed attention. Have I ever told you about the time I wrecked a motorcycle? Let me tell y'all. So back a few years back, a few years back, uh, my wife says, I want a motorcycle. I said, girl, you look good on a motorcycle. Let me buy you a motorcycle. So I bought a motorcycle. The motorcycle got shipped to the house. She called me and said, the motorcycle is here. I said, I'm getting off work. I'm coming home to see you on this motorcycle. I get home. She riding around the neighborhood just looking gorgeous on this motorcycle. My God. I say, with my genius say, so let me ride. She says, I got a nice little scar right here, y'all. She says, uh, you want my, my vest, uh, my, my jacket with the pads in? I said, no, because I'm just going to drift. You know how in the car you take your foot off the gas and you just float? You know what I'm talking about? That's what I was going to do with the motorcycle. I said, no, I'm just going to go from the front of our driveway to the front of our neighbor's driveway. And so she said, you want my jacket with the pads? I said, no, I'm good. I'm just going to go from here to there. She said, do you want my helmet? I said, no, I'm good. I'm just going to go from here to there. She said, Joshua, I said, Psh. I got it. I got it. I got it. So she's like, here's the gas. Here's the brake. Here's the clutch. Here's all that stuff. I'm like, okay. I put my hand in the thing like this, y'all. And the mic stood up like that. And so <laughs> it's really got nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to tell you the story. And so we, and I hit, I hit, I mean, I hit the, the, the curve, man. I put a nice little messed, I messed her bike up a little bit. It just leaned a little bit after that when you put it on the stand. And she's like, Joshua. And she's running in slow motion, and she throws the bike off me, and just, this is this whole ordeal. This is this whole ordeal. But I'm a man of faith, not a man of fear. So what happened was, I ended up taking this motorcycle class with her. Now I'm getting, I'm getting back on, on topic. I take this motorcycle class to us, and the guy in the class, he's saying, when you make a turn, he says, you have to look at where you're going. 
I can't say I'm going to turn this way. The road's curving this way and I'm looking this way because I won't end up there. I can do that in my car. I just can't. Four wheels is different than two wheels. He said, but if you're going this way to end up in your intended destination, you have to look at where you're going. Now, church, our intended destination has to always be Jesus. We're talking about your first love. If you want your intended destination to be Jesus, you cannot be distracted by other things. You have to look at Jesus. Otherwise, you're going to be like me. And I messed my wife's bike up and I, man, my elbow it still bothers me. But listen, it does. I'm just being honest. But listen, we're talking about gazing at Jesus. Faith. Everybody say faith. Faith, faith plays a part in your looking at Jesus. Did you know that? Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please and to be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. So without faith, you cannot please God. Here's the thing about faith. Faith will get you anything and will take you anywhere in the kingdom of God. But without faith, there is no coming to God. There is no approaching to God. There is no salvation. There is no redemption. There is no deliverance. There is no there's no communion with God. There's, there's just nothing because you're not even pleasing to God. So to even come to him, you got to already believe that he exists and who he is and what he does. Does it make sense? Are, are you tracking with me? The more you look at Jesus by default, the more your faith is actually developing. You'll come to him and you might even have a need and you don't even realize the thing you're believing God for will show up simply because you're looking at him. He knows your need and these things will come up. So. Let me let me y'all. We all in church. So y'all know about Peter and Peter walked on water. Yeah. Yes. yes. OK. Peter walked on water. Now, Peter did incredible things. He walked on water and he defied the laws of gravity, the law of buoyancy. That means it's, it's going to float. OK. He took his eyes off Jesus and he began to faint and he began to, to sink. He cries out to Jesus. Jesus picks him up. They walk back to the boat. Now, Jesus did not say, oh, my God, Peter, you did awesome. Why don't y'all get out the boat? You did good. You walked on water, dude. He didn't say that at all. He says, why did you doubt? He began to address his faith. When you look at Jesus, you have all the faith you need to approach him, to keep your eyes on him, to love him. You have all the faith you need to receive from him. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So. That's the same thing with uh, when Jesus was asleep on the boat and he got up and he rebuked the storm. Yeah. And then he turned to him. He says, where is your faith? He didn't talk about the storm. He didn't talk about the situation. He didn't talk about Peter singing. He talked about their faith. So you got to look at Jesus. Somebody said, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Everything in the kingdom of God is one way, y'all. Everything in the kingdom of God is unto him. Does that make sense? It's, it's unto him. So when my thoughts, when my actions, when, uh, when my affections are all turned towards him, I'm actually demonstrating my faith in him. And like I said, everything else I have need of, it just shows up. I believe God for things, but I can come. I can come to him. So your gaze has to be set on Jesus, not on you. On Jesus, not on you. I'm saying that you're not in your head, but I want you to get it on Jesus, not on you. We come in. We come into uh, anything um, like church and we want stuff our way. Pastor's good. Pastor's real good. Man of faith. Man of good. But I wish, Pastor, I wish you would hoop a little bit. Mm. 
I wish you would preach like that. I wish you would say, in Jesus, huh, he got up huh, on the third day. Huh, death. Huh, it couldn't. And, and I wish Joshua would just play some shout music so I can just get up and run. Because that's what would minister to me, you understand? That, yeah, yeah. Worship was amazing today. They blessed my heart. They blessed my spirit. But worship is unto the Father. It's not to you. Oh, worship was so good today. They sang my song. Oh, we really got our praise on today. But it was never for you. That's how you talk. That's how you think when you think it's about you. I'm trying to help you get back to your first love. I'm not trying to step on toes. I love you. Jesus loves you. But I want you to be so conscious of your need for him and so conscious of our need to bless him at all times to keep our focus on him. Amen. A.W. Tozer says faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. So this beholding of the lamb that John says, uh, John the Baptist says in John chapter one, verse 29, when he says, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He's just talking about simply an inward gaze on Jesus. Are you aware of his presence? Are you aware of his nearness? That's how you look on Jesus at all times. Father, help us keep our eyes on you. Let's go to point number two. Everybody say thirst. Thirst Thirst is defined as a want, an eager desire after anything. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 says, the Holy Spirit and the bride The church, the true Christians say, come and let him who is listening say, come and let everyone come who is thirsty. Who is, I love this part, who is painfully conscious of his need of those things by which the soul is refreshed, supported and strengthened. And whoever earnestly desires to do it, let him come, take, appropriate and drink the water of life without cost. Oh, it's free. It didn't cost you anything to come to him, y'all. Didn't cost you anything to come to him. Let's look at John chapter four, uh, verse 13 and, and, and 14. Verse 13, he's talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. He says, Jesus answered her, all who drink of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever takes a drink of the water that I will give him shall never, no, never be thirsty anymore. But the water that I will give him shall become a spring of water welling up, flowing, bubbling continually within him unto into for eternal life. If you're drinking of him, there should never be a dry season in your life. If you're thirsting for him, if your eyes are on him, there should never be a dry season. If your flowers outside of down, what do you do? You put water on it. But see, when you are thirsty for him, you're living in this place. You're living between this, this, this satisfied and unsatisfied. Does that make sense? And what I mean by that is he's the only thing that satisfies you. But you're unsatisfied because you won't be satisfied unless you get more. Does that make sense? You ever be thirsty and you go to the refrigerator and you drink uh, soda? You still end up thirsty. Uh, you, you get Kool-Aid. Uh, somebody say, what flavor are you drinking? I'm drinking red. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't say flavor. I said color. That's how we do Kool-Aid. And so, but you're still thirsty. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't quench your thirst. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't quench your thirst. And that's how it is with Jesus. He says, come drink as much as you want. I'll give it to you freely. 
and you will never want anything else to drink. You won't thirst for anything else. You won't be thirsty to fill this gap, this void with drugs, with sex, with money, with cars, with a salary. You just nothing satisfies anyway. You'll get what good is gaining the whole world if you lose your soul. Anyhow, that's what the Bible says. Look, the Apostle Paul says, I possess nothing, but yet I possess all things. I don't have to have my bank account full, although it is his will for me to be blessed. It doesn't have to look like everybody else's for me to be content and satisfied and rich. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Thank you. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies you. He's the only thing that satisfies you. Do you ever wake up and because you haven't eaten, you get hunger pains? You ever have spiritual hunger pains? Spiritual, I mean like if I didn't get to read my Bible today, if I didn't get to pray, oh, man, my spirit, man, it lets me know. It let, my attitude will let you know sometimes. <laughs> but the thing is, I am yearning. for. I'm having these spiritual hunger pains. And, it's, and that's just the Lord saying, come be with me. Come spend time with me. You, you thirsty? I got all the water you need. Amen. And then verse 28, the woman at the well, she she left her water jar and she went away to the town. And she began telling the people, come see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. Can this be? Is not this the Christ? Must not this be the Messiah, the anointed one? I never saw this before until I was working on this sermon. She left her water pot. The very means that she used to satisfy or to find satisfaction, she left it. Because Jesus is all she'd encountered the living God. And that's all she needed. It's all she needed. So what are you holding on to that you can just leave? Think about it. What are you holding on to that you can leave? Leave your water pot. Leave your water jar. And then she went and told everybody. Everybody. If you're really hungry for Jesus, if you're thirsting for Jesus, it's almost impossible for you to have a conversation and he not pop up in it. The book of Malachi says when you talk about the Lord, he listens and he writes it down as a remembrance. Man, we talk about Jesus all the time. I'm at Walmart and they like, how you doing? We like blessing our favorite. God is good. He just pops up because he's that good. And we're not being over the top religious. We're just full of Jesus. Father, give us a thirst for you. Point number three, abide. That is defined as to rest or dwell to continue permanently or in the same state, to be firm and immovable. And this passage right here in Luke 10, um, verse 30 and 42, this is what brought all this on. This is my burning scripture, as Pastor Mary calls it. Um, verse 38 says, Now it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him, talking about Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Listen. Our culture is obsessed with exhaustion. My generation, we have a word for it. We call it grinding. And it's working and working and working to fulfill ourselves, to fulfill a need. That's, does that make sense what I'm saying? I'm going to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to work so I can make money, make money, make money so I can take care of me, 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 me. 
That's that, that's what that is. Um, but working and serving others. Cannot take the place of a relationship with Jesus. It, that's not what it is. I don't care how well I play, how well I sing. If I'm not spending time with Jesus at his feet. Then I'm wasting his time. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting your time. Does that make sense? My working, my serving, all that comes um, from uh, an overflow of me spending time with Jesus. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying don't serve. Be on the dream team. Do growth track. Steps one, two, three, four. They meet every month. First week, second week, third week, fourth week at the 11 a.m. service in the Lego room. You go down the kids hallway. But that cannot be. Oh, I'm full of God because I serve every week. And you're not. You're tired is what you are. And you're looking busy. That's what you are. You're looking busy. And that's not the will of God. He says, uh, uh, Mary has chosen the good part and I will not take it from her. Jesus will come after some other things in your life. He will. He will say, uh, you know what? I want you to come down and stop playing your instrument for a while. He will say, I want you to step down from serving in this area for a while because I just want you to come and sit at my feet. And if you're obedient, you will reap the benefits of it. Speaking of that, it's a good place to talk about this men's encounter. Men, come back to your first love. These guys at this church, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have labored and prayed. And they have sought God to provide a comfortable, safe place for you to seek him. And you are doing yourself a disservice if you can come and you do not come. You're doing yourself a disservice if you can come and you do not come. I'm not even on the team. I'm not planning it. They're not paying Joshua to do none of this. I'm saying come and be with Jesus. This is not any other men's retreat or conference when we tell you to be a man and raise your kids and take care of your wife. It's not what we're doing. We're saying come be away with Jesus. Yes. Ladies, there's a women's retreat. They said today's the last day to sign up. You better get on it. Sign up. Sign up. They, are, they have created a space for you to get away and see God. So you can't say, I don't have the time. I wish I could. These kids, oh my God, no. Don't do that. Because is Jesus not worth it? That's what we're saying. He's worth it, right? Man, I'll, yeah, I'll get off the job to go spend some time with Jesus. I, I sure will. So listen, I'm going to move on. I'm going to hurry up and get out of the way. There's three things that we learn by Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Number one, sitting at his feet is all that's needed. Jesus isn't as interested in our serving or our being busy the way we think he is. Like I said before, all of that, the serving, the working, that's an overflow of me being at his at his feet. We can't have more faith in our practices and our programs than we have in Jesus. Does does that make sense? Just because you give, just because you serve, just because you show up to prayer and just go through those motions, those practices. If your heart ain't attached to it, you've wasted your time. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things, but only one thing is needful. The second thing we learn is that there is peace at his feet. Mary sat there unaffected, undistracted, worry free. Worry 
free. And I know, I know, I know, I know you wanted to know, Lord, do I take this job? Do I buy this house? Do I move to this city? Do I do this? Do I go left? Do I go right? And I'm not copping out when I say this, but here's the answer. It's Jesus. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's Jesus. That's not a cop out when I say that. People say, what's wrong with these kids today? Jesus. Why is the world the way it is? It's Jesus. It's a lack of honoring Jesus. It's a lack of wanting to be in his presence. It's a lack of wanting to sit at his feet and to hear every word that comes out of his mouth. It's a lack of knowing that he has the words of eternal life. And if I can just grab a hold of what he's saying, if I can get close enough to put my head on his chest, I know that I know I'm going to be okay. It seems like it takes more discipline to sit at the feet of Jesus these days. Oh, man. But once you get there, once you get there, listen, you give him your Monday, he's coming for Tuesday. And that's all right. You give him your morning, he's coming for your evening. And that's all right, because you'll want to. I can't read five chapters of my Bible like so and so. I can't read. Man, just start. Oh, my God, just start. And I'm telling you, the father will draw your heart. He's going to say five minutes is great, son. Come get to him. Ten minutes is great, daughter. Come get an hour and you're going to have the grace to do it. And even when it's hard, you're going to press in. Even when you don't see it working, when you don't feel it working, more things are happening for you than you realize. But you got to have faith. You got to look to Jesus. You got to set your gaze on him. You got to be thirsty for him. You got to abide in him. The third thing she taught us is that at his feet, it pleases him. Jesus wasn't worried about Martha running around. He wasn't worried about the dishes being washed, the clothes being washed. He wasn't worried about any of that. He says she's chosen the good part. Here's what I think. I think he was looking at, at, at Mary and he said, this is my child. She is learning from me. She is hanging on to my every word. And I dare not make her get up to go do something else. He's saying that she realizes who I am. She realizes that I am her source and I'm pleased with it. I'm pleased with it. See, we would say she's being lazy. But he says, I'm pleased. I don't care what you say about me. All I care is about what Jesus has to say. And if he's pleased, I'm going to sit down right here at his feet. Sit at his feet, y'all. Sit at his feet. I'm about to wrap up because it's 8 o'clock. There you go. Listen. My action points are also a recap. First action point is gaze. You have to make up in your mind to set inwardly, set your eyes, your attention, your affections on him. Don't make him a priority. Make him the source. Let him be the source. He is the source. So just let him be. Develop an awareness of his presence. You say, I don't feel God. Oh, just look for him. I look at my children sometimes. My wife will tell you, and I just tears will come down my eyes. Because I see Jesus. I'm looking for him and I see him. When I look for him, I see him. The second point, thirst. Listen, come to the well every day. Open your Bible. Open your mouth and, and, and say, Father, I need you today. He will show up. Come to the well every day and find your satisfaction in him. And then thirdly, abide. Listen, stay at his feet. I don't care what distractions might come, whether it's the enemy or whether it's you. I don't care if it's a good thing, carnally, or a bad thing. Stay at his feet. 
Stay at his feet. Stay at his feet. Because at his feet, you'll get the knowledge of God. At his feet, you'll discover his will. At his feet, you'll bask in his presence. At his feet, you will be changed.